So we're going to talk about wisdom this morning. Is that a good topic? <clears throat> and uh, I was going to move in some words of knowledge and prophecy at the end. And just as we were worshipping, I just felt the Lord said today, if you're up for it, that I was to touch some people for an impartation of wisdom. I'm not trying to say that I've got something that you haven't or anything, but God says that we're His ambassadors. Amen. So if you're up for that at the end, that's what we're going to do. We're just going to just touch some people, pray for some wisdom. But some funnies first. We've got to have some funnies. Is that right? Have we got the PowerPoint going? Must be coming. Here we go. You spent all those years accumulating common sense only to find there's not much use for it these days. Yeah. Next one, please. I can't see it on this one for some reason. And another thing. I want half the wisdom. Yeah, Charlie Brown. Worrying won't stop the bad stuff from happening. It just stops you from enjoying the good. Isn't that? So, Charlie Brown, so much wisdom in Charlie Brown. I hear you're writing a book on theology. I hope you have a good title. I have the perfect title. Has it ever occurred to you you might be wrong? <laughs> a good laugh and a hug. Sorry, a good half... It's a good laugh and a long sleep are the two best cures for anything. And this, invented by a lady, shows you the purpose of those things on the back of the car. Some people won't admit their faults. I would if I had any. Remember when we had to smack the TV because the channel wasn't coming in clearly? I feel that way about too many people. Never buy your wife a sewing machine. <laughs> yeah, just a little cute one there. You know, put that one in. Finally, I found a house in my price range. <laughs> How many of you can identify with that one? Mass teachers be like, okay, you guys, one more example before we drown. <laughs> and look at this. Blinky thing. <laughs> Means turning. <laughs> okay. I was interested in what you wrote about your church today and what we sang because you talked about building. And the verse I've got today is from Proverbs 24, verse 3 and 4. It's from the Amplified. It says, Through skillful and godly wisdom is a house, which is a life, a home, a family built. I know family is, is the thing. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. And by understanding it's established on a sound and good foundation and by knowledge shall its chambers of every area be filled with all precious and pleasant riches. I want you to notice that there are three different functions. Wisdom builds. Did you pick that up? Wisdom builds. Understanding what does what? Establishes. And knowledge fills. Wisdom builds. Understanding establishes. Knowledge fills. My sense for the leadership of this church is that God wants to download wisdom for you to build the church in this time. Okay? Because it's important that we build according to the pattern. Does that make sense? What, what do I mean by that? Let's look at Solomon. 1 Kings 10. <clears throat> Excuse me. And the Queen of Sheba had seen all the wisdom of Solomon. The house that he had built, isn't that interesting, that he had built, the food on his table, the seating of his servants, the service of his waiters and their apparel, his cupbearers 
and the entryway by which he made his way up to the house of the Lord and there was no more spirit in her. Look at the things that she saw, the food, how it was done. How important is that? Obviously pretty important, wouldn't you think? If you go to Danny Guglamici's church, he has written a whole book on this part of his wisdom saying building the church according to the pattern and it's based on Solomon's wisdom. You can buy a copy of it rather than do it all yourself if you want to. But you know, the food's so important because Danny, Danny is Italian. Eh? The food has got to be the most important. And so if you go to Danny's church on Saturday night, you will get a meal. It won't be wine biscuits. It will be restaurant quality meal. Do you know how many people they feed on Saturday night? 5,000. 5,000 restaurant quality meals, 5,000. I had the calamari. Very nice. Thank you very much. Why am I saying that? Because food's important to Danny, but it's built according to the pattern. And he said, this is where the church is going and we need to feed these people and make them feel loved and warm and welcome and whatever. And he said, they did according to the pattern. His elders said, it's going to cost money. You can't do that. It'll never work. And Danny said, let's do it for a month. And if it fails, I'll pay for it. It's growing to 5,000. It's the fastest growing service in their church. Seating. How do they seat people? Where do you seat people? How do you go about it? it, it it's a problem for some. When I go into Anglican churches, I'm not an Anglican and I don't wear one of those funny collars or whatever and they don't know where to put me. I can't sit up there because I don't have the collar and, and they want to put me there. They want to kind of honour you because you're the speaker. Have you ever had that, Ian? They don't know where to put you, do they? I go and sit down over there somewhere and I'm just quite happy to be nobody. But it offends them because they kind of want to put you somewhere. The service, the uniforms. But most importantly, the entranceway. Because you see, you have to understand that at that point in this particular history, the ark was not in the temple. The ark was there. And Solomon went daily and spent time in the presence of the Lord. Is that good? Yeah. At the end of the day, people, that's what we've got to be doing. Does that make sense? So there's some wisdom, I think, for this church that you need to get. Because I think we're living in a different day and things are going to be a little bit different. And we need some wisdom from God in that. And only God can give that. Is that all right? Amen. James 5 says, If anyone lacks wisdom or longs to be wise, ask God for wisdom and he will give it. He won't see your lack of wisdom as an opportunity to scold you over your failures but he will overflow or overwhelm your failures with his generous grace. How many like that translation? Amen. I just love the way the passion puts that there. It's interesting to me because God is really saying, I want to come and give you the wisdom to need, to what you need. And I just sense to say to some people today, the devil's been reminding you of your failures and trying to put you down, but God's not looking at that. God's saying, I'm not looking at your failures. I'm looking to cause you to succeed, amen? I remember meeting a black American girl. She was six foot one, and she shared a testimony with me. She'd gone to university, and she said, the first mistake I made, Jeff, was going into a town 
that was white. She said, I was one of five black people in a white town. She said, that was mistake number one. She said, mistake number two was getting pregnant in my first year at university. Mistake number three was then not carrying on because I couldn't with the baby and then getting pregnant a second time. But she said, eight years later, I graduated with an advertising degree. I'm playing in the women's NBA. I'm earning 135000 a year as an advertising executive. And she said, I'm not telling you how much I'm making out of basketball. Failing does not make you a failure. Only giving up makes you a failure. Amen. Isn't that a good word for that girl? And so I just sense that when you come to God today to receive that touch of wisdom, God's not looking at your failure. Is that all right? God gives wisdom to build. Amen. And He doesn't do it finding fault. He does it giving grace. And I want to talk about grace as being His empowering to accomplish His will and purpose. Is that all right? That's how I see it. I don't like this verse particularly because I'm good at finding fault. I can see it so easily in people. You can probably see it in me. We're good at it, aren't we? But if we're going to be mature, means we're going to be more like God, where we're going to look for the grace of God rather than finding fault with people. Wow, isn't that interesting? You see, the Bible says that foolishness tears down. A foolish woman tears down the house, but wisdom builds the house. There's no point in tearing it down. We've got to be here to build it up. So I want to define wisdom today as applying the knowledge to achieve the goal of God. Wisdom is applying the knowledge to achieve the goal. Hosea cried out and said, my people are destroyed for a walk. lack of what? Lack of knowledge, precisely. Now, let me ask you this. Does God give knowledge? No, God gives wisdom. Knowledge, we have to get that ourselves, don't we? And we get knowledge through learning, through reading, through studying. Some of us get it through being stupid. And we learn that once you've been stupid once, don't do it again. Is that right? (laughs) Except some of us did it twice. When we apply that knowledge, it is wisdom. Man? And some of us, we had to learn the school of hard knocks. Who's been through that school? Yeah. yeah, I've been there, done that, done some dumb things and thought, Jeff, never again. And fortunately, in most of them, I've learned the lesson. But Solomon said, go and spend an hour looking at the ants. Proverbs chapter six. He says, go to the ants, you sluggard, and study. Well, when I go and speak on cruise ships, I'm not allowed to speak Christian things. So I stand up there before all those people in the cruise ship and say, a philosopher once said, go to the ant. (laughs) The Christians know what I'm talking about and they all smile. And then I talk about what have we learned from ants? Ants are fantastic at making decisions. Did you know that? But do you know what? Ants make decisions together as a group. Isn't that interesting? Good to watch that, isn't it? Ants are brave. They will take on other animals way bigger than what they are. And so ants talk us about bravery. 
Ants are focused. If you put your finger in an ant trail, what does that ant do? Just ignores it and keeps on going. We get distracted by every little thing that's going, don't we? I'm trying to write a sermon and, you know, something will distract me. Not talking about my wife, but, you know. <laughs> and so focus is incredibly important. They teach us about focus. Ants talk about sharing. They teach us about sharing because they work together and share everything that they have with every other ant. Isn't that good? They're adaptive. Did you know that there are ants in every single continent in the world? They can adapt to their environment wherever they are. They're incredible. They're into teamwork. They know how to work as a team. In fact, they even assign some people as workers and they assign other ants to different jobs and so they know how to do teamwork. They're also into routine. How many of you know routine is important for us? Ants have got incredible routines. They're great at communication. They leave little wee signs saying, food this way. And they put stuff down, it's called formus, and they, they, they lay that there, there's a whole lot of stuff that they communicate. They also have a positive attitude. Now you're saying, come on, Jeff, how do they have a positive attitude? They do. You look at the stuff that ants accomplish. You don't do that with a negative attitude, isn't that right? They know how to keep it positive. I don't know whether you realise, but in an aeroplane, there's not only an altitude meter, there's also an attitude meter. Attitude determines whether your nose is down or your nose is up. If you fly with your nose down, you'll crash. If you fly with your nose up, you'll stall. Hey? There's plenty of people around with their noses in the air. <laughs> Ants know about deadlines. They know that there is winter coming. Who works better with a deadline? Yeah, they know about deadlines. They know about delegation. They know how to share out the jobs and give different jobs to different people. Some of us think that only we can do the job. They don't know about delegation. They know about Sabbaths. Did you know that? Ants know about Sabbaths. They know that there is a rest time when they have to rest from their work. I was terrible at this. I felt that if I wasn't there, Ian, the church would fall apart. And so I wouldn't take my holidays. Stupid, eh? It is. It is. It's stupid. I learned by my mistakes. I actually found out that on one occasion, I went away and I was gone for a month. And when I came back, the church had grown. And I got greeted by a lady on the front row and the lady was talking away to me and uh, talking to me. She said, oh, you know, welcome to the church. And I'm thinking, well, yeah, it's actually my church, you know. I didn't know it actually, but she was a prostitute. She just got saved the week before. But anyway, everyone, everyone thought it was quite funny that I was having this conversation with this lady. Anyway, preparation. Ants know how to prepare things ahead of time. Is this stuff that's actually wisdom for our church and for our lives? Ants are persistent. They just... Never give up. I have a friend in Africa and, and, and their army ants come in. And when army ants come in, you just move out. He said, Jeff, as a teenager, he said, I wasn't going to move out of my house. And so he said, I dug a drain and filled it with water. He said, the ants just came in, drowned, and the other ants just walked over the top of them. He said, then he said, I got some petrol. I poured it on the ground and I lit the petrol and there was fire. He said, they put the fire out with their bodies and kept coming. I said, what did you do then? He said, I moved out. Just like everybody else. Because they will kill a human. I've, I've had interaction with army ants. They're persistent, amen? But we are pretty easy at giving up, aren't we? Let's take the soft ride. Ants think big. If you've ever been to Australia and seen anthills, they think big. You know, so often Christians have a poverty mentality and they think small and don't realise that God wants to bless them. They serve one another. 
They know what their limitations are. I want to finish with one more little thing about ants. The interesting way to get rid of them is you poison them and other ants will eat them and that'll poison other people. You know how you ruin a church? You just spread gossip around. And we go, I'm just like ants. Can we learn a few things from ants? Yeah, yeah that's, that's only part of the cruise ship message on ants. There's a few more things, but I didn't want to speak all about ants today. All of that really to say that there's a whole lot of stuff out there. If I come into your house, I will see what kind of knowledge you have because I'll see what pictures are on the wall, whether they're cartoons or copies or originals. I'll see what's in your bookcase and I'll see what you read, whether it's Snoopy or Macbeth or Bill Mills and Boone or something, who knows. I'll see what hobbies you're into. Do you collect coins or stamps or fishing? Golf. I'll see what kind of organisation or lack of it. I'll see the things that you treasure. I'll see your collections. I'll see your creations. And those are the things that I can learn about your knowledge going to your house. Would you, would you agree with all of that? That's, that's knowledge. Understanding then establishes that. Who's seen American Pickets? A few of you. If you ever watch American Pickets, it's quite interesting. They go around buying up old stuff from people. But I tell you, without exception, the places that they go to, there are barns and sheds and houses filled with absolute stuff. Now, if you had any understanding or any wisdom, you would know you were never going to repair and restore all of that stuff. And you would get rid of 85% of it and work on 15% of it. That's wisdom. They've got knowledge, they know what's valuable and they know what they want to collect but they've got no understanding and no wisdom and so therefore it just sits there and they will die and go to the grave and someone will get rid of it. Is that harsh? Or is it truth? It's true. 1 Chronicles 12.32 says, The sons of Issachar who had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do Their chiefs were 200 and all their brethren were at their command. So understanding is knowing what to do. When I was a kid, I had an alarm clock. It was a knotty alarm clock and the knotty would go like that. And I took it apart and I had complete knowledge of how an alarm clock worked. But because I had no understanding, I couldn't put the stupid thing back together. (laughs) How did you get that spring wound up again to get it in there? I just could not do it. And so poor Noddy never nodded again. (laughs) You see, we can know some stuff, but without understanding, you can't put it back together. Would that be true? You can know things about a marriage, but you can't put it back together again unless you've got understanding. Is that true? You can know things about relationships, but without that understanding, how are you going to put it back together as a family? So wisdom says that you can build a life. So knowledge will not be enough to build your life. We need wisdom. And God is the only source of that wisdom. If you look at Solomon, he studied the animals like the ant and he learned from their behaviour and he applied what he learned from the animals to living out his life. Is that a good thing? And you and I have got to become students so that we can actually learn how to live our life. Amen. 
You know, when I went to a marriage course with Joanne, we've been to a number of them now, she learns so much at these things. It's just <laughs> absolutely great. <laughs> you need to, he does. Yeah, you agree. But at the last one, God said to me, you need to study Joanne. And I thought that was really interesting. As I prepared this message, I realized it's, it's one thing to study here and get the knowledge, but it needs wisdom to know what to do with it. Does that make sense? And so wisdom also has to obey the rules. I want you to see the rules. How many of you believe that we're kings and priests? There's a few hands going up. That's all right. Good. So here, Deuteronomy 17 says, this is the rules for kings and priests. You shall surely set a king over you whom the Lord your God chooses, one from among your brethren. You shall set him as king over you. You may not set a foreigner over you who is not your brother, but he shall not multiply horses for himself nor cause the people to return to Egypt to multiply horses. For the Lord has said to you, you shall not return that way again. Neither shall you multiply wives for yourself, lest your heart turn away, nor shall you greatly multiply silver and gold for yourself. Also it shall be that when he sits on his throne of his kingdom, that he shall write out for himself a copy of this law in a book from the one before the priests, the Levites. And it shall be with him and he shall read it, how often? all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord as God, that he may be careful to observe all the words of the law and these statutes, that his heart may not be lifted up above his brethren, that he may not turn aside from the commandment to the right hand or to the left, that he may prolong his days in the kingdom and that he may, uh, so that he and his children in the midst of Israel. So for building a life, these are the rules for us. First one is one wife or one husband if you're a female. Is that fair enough? How many did Solomon have? 700. And 300 concubines. Think of all those mother-in-laws. <laughs> Help us. But what happened to him? They turned his heart away. From a man who was 100% out for God, they turned his heart away, exactly like it said. So the rules are one wife. Is that okay? Number two, horses to meet your need. I think horses today would be cars. Would that be right? How many cars do you need? Well, you've got to work it out for yourself. I don't have the answer. Some of us need more than one vehicle. But when you start getting 10 or 12 and collecting them, you've just got to think at that point, are we going back to Egypt? It's more stuff to look after and are we just getting involved in stuff? And then you've got to decide how much gold and silver is enough. I can't put a figure on it for you. You have to decide for yourself. I just recently got offered by a friend of mine a fantastic business deal and it looked too good to be true and I thought it probably is too good to be true. But he wanted me to put some money into it and you know what I said to him? I prayed about it and the Lord said, Jeff, you've got enough. You don't need any more. Isn't that interesting? Godliness with contentment is a waste of time. Oh, that's a great gain, is it? Sorry, oh, a different translation. When we come to a point where we decide it's no longer worth striving, it's interesting, I shared a little bit of this with a friend of mine who's mixing with some very, very wealthy people, and they were astonished with him that he's only got one exotic car and one extra motorbike. They said, you know, you could have 10 or 11. He said, I don't need to, I've got enough. And he said, it's interesting, they, they can't understand contentment. They're all the time striving for more and more. They've got this whole idea that the one with the most toys, when he dies, he wins. 
It's not like that, is it? And so for every one of us, the figure, if you like, that is enough will be different. There's no, you've got to work it out for yourself. Is that okay? But then here's the important part. He said, I want you to write out a copy for yourself. I'm saying to you today that you need to have a journal that you write in that journal every single day what God is speaking to you. Because God will speak to you. Yeah? Yeah. He will give you stuff. I mean, the other day he he really ripped into me. (laughs) There was a guy who was spouting off on, 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 on the Facebook and he was saying all sorts of things. And the reality was that I didn't like what he was saying because it wasn't Christian. There was no grace, there was no love. And also I knew something about his life that he had fallen in a number of areas. But you know what the Bible says? It says the righteous falls seven times. But what happens to him? God raises him up. And God spoke to me and said, who are you to keep him down? Oh, I just felt like this big hit across the side of the head. Jeff, it's not your job to keep him down. Yeah, he might have failed, but it's not your, if I've raised him up again, it's not your job to keep him down. So I need to write that stuff down, amen? Live it out, because see, God's talking about having mercy and grace. Does that make sense? Remember that wisdom doesn't find what? Yeah, I fell into that. Then he says, read it every day. You know, it's good for us to go back into that journal, go back into the Bible every single day. Joanne and I, our first thing when we get up in the morning, apart from feeding the cat so he doesn't get under your feet, is sit, read our Bibles, cat comes for devotions with us, and then we pray. We do that every morning. That's our habit. It's just what we do. Read it every day. Because that is life. Amen? That's the rules that he gave us. Then he says, meditate on the Word. It's not just enough to read it and tick it off and say, oh, well, I've done my devotions. I've ticked what it says. The Bible says that you are to meditate on it. That's when we take a little bit of time like a cow to chew on it, take it down until it moves from head knowledge to heart knowledge. That's a long 14 inches. Amen? Until it becomes our natural response. Just the other day, you know, I responded and I realised I got irritated just like that. And yet, you know what it says in 1 Corinthians? Not irritated easily. And I thought, well, Jeff, that doesn't move from here to here, is it? You know? And so we meditate on those things. And as you meditate on it, God gives you stuff. Let me give you an example of it. Meditation. I've been meditating on a passage in Scripture where Elijah goes and he prophesies it's not going to rain. And it doesn't rain. And so God sends him to a millionaire to live in a palace for a while. Is that right? No, you don't know your Bibles very well, those who are nodding yes. Who did he send him to? A widow woman. And he says to the widow woman, you give me a cake first and the barrel of oil will never run out and the cruise of oil will never run out. And God, as I meditated on that, said to me, Jeff, giving is based on how much is left in the jar. Generosity is based on the promise that it will never run out. It's a great word while it's in here. When it gets into here, you've got to live it out, Ruth. <laughs> so next thing I know, God spoke to me and said, Jeff, I want you to go and pray for that woman you led to the Lord who's in Perth dying. Go and pray for her. I thought I'll keep that to myself. But lo and behold, Joanne, on the same night that God spoke to me, said, Jeff, you need to go and pray for that woman in Perth. 
It cost me two and a half thousand dollars to go and pray for her. And I thought that as soon as I laid hands on her, she would be raised up, healed immediately because I've seen that before. She died. And when I got back here, I shared it with Paul and some of the other guys and I said, guys, what's the story here? You know, I spent two and a half grand and there were some other miracles, but not that one. And Pastor Harry said to me, Jeff, it was a test to see whether you were going to live out how much is in the jar or you're going to believe that it'll never run out. Wow. So God was testing me. Is this stuff here just head knowledge or is it heart knowledge? Do you see what meditation does? It moves you to a different place. Oh, and I need to say to you, within three weeks, all two and a half thousand had come back in. God's promise is real. Amen. This stuff does really work. And there's the fear of the Lord. That's a whole message on the fear of the Lord. I'll come back and preach that another time. Just, just to say this, though, that the fear of the Lord is not doing anything that would cause shame to our Father's name. That's just the other hour, another day. Obey the commands. That's what Jesus taught, wasn't it? Make disciples, teaching them to what? Obey the commandments. And then humility. I don't need to talk to you people about pride because there's no pride people in this room. But there's other people out there that I'm talking to you about that. But you know what? Pride is an insidious, sneaky thing that sneaks up on you. Am I right, Ian? I've been caught out by it. I have to admit to you, I've been caught out by it. If you have enough people telling you you're doing a good job, you can start to believe it. And you forget that it's God who's doing it. And lastly, stay on track. Don't go to the left or the right. Keep in your lane. Is that okay? Then it talks about building a home. This is family. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but there were five things he spoke to me about a home. A home is a place where you sleep. Is that right? Hopefully you sleep. Proverbs says your sleep should be sweet. It's a place where you eat. And the Bible has a lot to say about eating because it says around the table we're supposed to be teaching our children. Isn't that right? It's not just the food. It's a place of shelter. It's a place where you, our children should always feel that they can come and know that this is a place that they can come to. It's also a place that we come back to. How many of you as adults have gone back to the childhood home? Yeah, a lot of us. I've even gone beyond that and gone to where my grandparents came from in Sweden. And I saw where they left. And lastly, it's a place of family. Also, it says building a family. I think it takes wisdom to build a family. And if I can make this comment, I think that we will all do it differently. Your family, my family, they're going to look different. The traditions that we have, the traditions that you have, all of those things there. But there are certain things that we need in all of us. One is fairness and discipline. Would you agree with that? Kids just want us to be fair and to know that there's some boundaries. Secondly, they want to know that there's love there. Is that true? fair enough? Most important. There's instruction. We have to teach them. Just as a father teaches us, we've got to correct them. There's got to be instruction in the family. And then there's values and ethics. I remember with my dad one day, uh, he was offered a, a business deal. He was a land agent after the farm and um, he, he didn't take it. And I said, Dad, we could have made a lot of money out of that. Why, why didn't you go for it? He said, Jeff, I want to be able to walk down the street and look every person in the eye and never have to cross the street because I'm afraid to meet somebody. What did that instill in me? That instilled within me that there's values that we hold as the Wickland family that mean you don't ever do the dirty on anybody. Amen? Stayed with me all these years. And then there's fellowship. And as I said, that'll be different for every one of us. So what do we need today? Is there anyone here, I guess, who needs to grow in knowledge?
I'm reading more books today than I've ever read, I'm reading all sorts of stuff. I'm reading one at the moment that's supposed to be giving me understanding of a woman's mind. It's 315 pages per chapter. Just kidding. I think we need to ask for wisdom today. I think there's a place for an impartation. But I think there's got to be understanding to establish what we build today as well. Amen? And so maybe if today you are feeling that you just want an impartation of wisdom, I'm going to ask you to come and just stand at the front. I'm not going to take a long time because if I start prophesying over people, we'll be here till the late afternoon. But I just believe for God to impart something today. And if I can say this to you today, I think it will take days to work itself out. You know, you might get something tomorrow and you think, wow, that's, that's a wisdom from God to deal with this. And then there'll be some more in a couple of weeks' time and gradually we will see that God did something today that's changing us. Is that okay? So there's no pressure on anybody. If you feel you want to come out, I'm just going to lay hands quickly and then we'll go to the next point. So if you want to come, just come and stand at the front and I'll just come and quickly pray for you.